Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Woo, how we doing, friends? Welcome to church today. If it's your first time, an especially warm welcome to you. If we haven't met before, my name is Jonathan. I'm the lead pastor here and just honored that you would be with us today. And today is special. We have baptisms today at the end of service. And so, yeah, we can give it up for that. That's big. And, uh, but it also means I'm on the clock because we got some amazing stories to get to. And I've been diving into these, uh, these three chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you've been tracking with us at all, for the past several weeks, we've been studying this amazing letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, this young, budding church in Corinth that had tons of issues, tons of things going on, gives me a lot of hope for our church and just the church in general. You know, it's not good to compare, but sometimes you just need to know that someone's doing a little worse than you. Amen, somebody? Not encouraging that at all, but God put this letter in the Bible for a reason. He put this letter in the Bible for a reason so that Christians of all generations could look and say, wow, it really is about grace. It really is about the goodness of God and the gospel. We're all jacked up. We all got issues and we need Jesus to make us whole. And it's a journey for all of us. And that's what, as you dive into the book of 1 Corinthians, you see more and more and more. And so if you've been tracking with us, I'll give you a quick little overview of the book. Um, Chapters one to four are hitting on the topics of division and unity. Chapters five to seven, which we spent the last two weeks on, are all about sex, love, marriage, and singleness. It was spicy. Uh, And now we're getting into chapters eight to 10 on food and idolatry. And I'll be honest, at first glance, as I got into this section, because Paul is making one sustained argument for three straight chapters. And at first glance, when I got into this passage, into this section of scripture, I honestly thought, what on earth does this have to do with anything happening in the modern world? He's talking about, and I'll just read the first verse for us, now concerning, now concerning food offered to idols. I don't know about you, but I don't have any livestock. Maybe some of you do, but when was the last time you took one of your livestock, a cow or a lamb or an oxen, down to a local temple in downtown EDH, handed it off to a priest, and we're like, hey, I really need my crops to grow this year, so I'm at the temple of whatever. And the priest then slaughters, dresses the animal, and cooks it on the burnt altar offering thing, and then you and your whole family come together and have a feast. Anybody ever done that? I've never taken a cow anywhere. I, I, you know, I've barely like pet a cow on the head one time. I don't have oxen. I don't have lamb. And so I'm reading, you know, I'm reading these, uh, these chapters and I'm thinking, all right, Lord, what, what is the application? But as, as we dive in, there was one massive theme that began to rise to the top. One incredible theme in this section of scripture that he hits over and over and over again, and it's very simple. It's this idea of how to be wrong even when you're right. It's my big idea. That's my title, how to be wrong even when you're right. And if you want the subtitle, it goes like this. What happens when ideas become more important than people? What happens in the church and in life when ideas 
become more important than people. And I thought, whoa, talk about a relevant topic for our nation, for our world. Our, our, our nation is split right down the middle on ideas right now. Right down the middle on ideas. And, and social media has just created this beautiful little, you know, typhoon hurricane in our world of people slinging ideas at each other across the internet with no relationship, with no care for people or, or persons involved. And we are just divided over ideas with no care for people. And Paul is dealing with this for three straight chapters. Three straight chapters. And so we're going to dive into this, and it's amazing as we unpack it what we begin to see, because what happens is this. I'll go back one slide. When ideas become more important than people, we risk destroying our witness, our faith, and those we are called to love. When ideas become more important than people, we risk losing everything, even ourselves, our witness, our faith, and those that we're called to love. And so we'll dive into this first verse here. In, in uh, chapter 8, verse 1, you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible if you have one. And I want us to see a couple things right here because Paul, as he gets into this, he's hitting on this idea, right? Now concerning food offered to idols. This issue of idolatry. And the question in the Corinthian church, they're writing to Paul, and they're saying, hey, can we eat food that's been offered to idols? Can we go to the temples in town with all of our friends? Because the temples were kind of more like restaurants back in the day. You would celebrate birthday parties, festivals. They were social networking areas. They were a place to meet friends. And what, what happened oftentimes, a family would come in need of a sacrifice and for, or for a celebration of some sort. And they would bring the entire you know, ox or cow or lamb or whatever it was, this would then get sacrificed in the temple and then there was so much meat left over, anybody was welcome to come and join. You could just pop in and celebrate with this family. It was a very communal event. And so the Corinthians are like, hey, this is just, this is what we've done forever. You telling me I can't go into these temples anymore, Paul, or eat this meat, or should I eat this meat, or what if the meat, the leftover meat gets sold in the market, but I, I know it was sacrificed to an idol back there, can I eat that? If I'm, if I'm invited into somebody else's house who, who worships, you know, Apollos, and, and they want to eat some meat that they sacrificed earlier, am I allowed to eat with them or not? Like, this is a very complicated issue for them. It's not just like a cut and dry thing. They're really wondering, what do we do here? But they're defending with Paul their right to eat the, the food in the temples. They're like, hey, this is no big deal, Paul. I'm free. They, they even use the same argument they used back in chapter six, where they say, all things are permissible for me. They say that again in chapter 10. All things are permissible. I'm free. Don't mess with my freedom, Paul. Don't tell me what I can and can't do, but let's get into this right now. So now concerning food offered to idols, this is what Paul is diving in on. So he's hitting this issue of worship because an idol is something that you worship other than God, something that you worship other than Jesus. And worship is this idea of love, it's this idea of affection, of what you give your thoughts, your energy, your money, your time, your heart towards. And in case you're wondering, you all have idols in your life. 
They just don't look like what they used to look like in the ancient world. We all deal with idolatry. We all are tempted to put something in our lives and our hearts above God, to love something above Jesus. We all deal with it. So Paul is addressing the vertical relationship, our relationship between us and God concerning food offered to idols. And he addresses, I I want you all to notice these quotation marks here. He addresses the argument of the Corinthians. So the Corinthians are writing to Paul and here's what they're basing their argument on. They're like, hey, it's okay for us to go and eat in these temples. It's, it's okay for us to eat food sacrificed to idols. Paul, it's not a big deal. And Paul goes, okay, their argument goes something like this. They said, all of us possess knowledge. We'll get into what that knowledge is in just a second. This is what Paul is addressing. They're basically saying, we all know it's okay. We all possess this knowledge. I'll explain why in a second. But Paul addresses them and he goes, actually, here's the problem. Your knowledge, what you say you know, is puffing you up. It's puffing you up. It's making you arrogant. There's something wrong with what you know. There's something wrong with your knowledge And then he contrasts knowledge with this amazing little word right here, love. Love and knowledge. He goes, your knowledge is puffing you up and making you arrogant, but love, he says, builds up. Love is about others. Love is about even sacrificing your stance, even if you're right, even if you've got the right knowledge to reach someone else or serve someone else, to make sure that your ideas never become more important than people. You see, love builds up. He goes on. What he's hitting here really is the vertical and the horizontal relationships. They're asking or they're saying, they're defending, is this okay between me and God to eat this food sacrificed to idols? Am I okay here with God? I think I am. Here's why. We're going to get into that. And the horizontal relationship that Paul is addressing, is this okay between me and others? So what Paul is really saying here is he's saying, look, this isn't just a freedom issue, it's a love issue. It's not just a knowledge or ideas issue, it's a love issue. What you do with this food and where you eat it and who you eat it with and how you relate to this food is really not just about right knowledge, it's about love. We're gonna get into this, we're gonna see this where he says this. Gets into the next verse. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. What on earth, Paul? Feels like a non sequitur. It doesn't even like flow together. If anyone imagines that he knows something, so again, he's getting into this this knowledge, right, of these people. If anyone imagines he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. There's something wrong with your knowledge, Corinthians. You guys are claiming knowledge and right knowledge, but guess what? You don't yet know as you ought to know. You're not knowing the right way. But here's what he says. If anyone loves God, he's known by God. So again, he's he's contrasting love and knowledge and specifically love of God. And then he goes back to knowledge. He goes, if you love God, you're known by God. Now, why is that a big deal? What is he saying here? He's saying this, think about this, 1 Corinthians 13, 2, the famous love chapter, says this, if I have all knowledge, if I have all knowledge but have not love, I am, say it with me, nothing. If I got all the right answers, 
If all my ideas are right, all my political stances, all of my theology, all of my beliefs about young or old earth or this or that or whatever it is, if it's all right, but I have not love, I am nothing. I'm nothing. Check out this verse, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. It says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who claims to know me will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, the one who lives this thing out. Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, those who didn't do the will of my Father, I never knew you, depart from me. So it's a big deal to be known by God. That means you're in relationship with God. If God says, I don't know you, you're not really in relationship with him. And so to be known by God, to love God, means that you're known by him. It takes more than just right understanding of God or right thoughts about God. You have to love Jesus. That's the litmus test of the Christian faith. James 2.19 says, even the demons know God. They believe and shudder, but they don't love him. They don't love him. So there's a wrong way to know the right things. There is a wrong way to know the right things. And what Paul is saying is your knowledge is wrong because your knowledge is not filtered through the love of God or for building others up, the love of others. Your knowledge and your freedom are off because they're not filtered through the lens of truth. And he goes on to say this in the next verse. As to the eating of food offered to idols... We know that an idol, and again, here's where he's quoting their argument, right? So the, the Corinthians are saying to him, hey, an idol has no real existence, quotation marks. Here's our argument. Here's why it's okay, Paul, for us to go to the temple and eat what we want in front of the idols because guess what? They don't exist. You taught us that, Paul. They're not real. So we can go and have a great time in the temples because they're not real, and they go on. It says this, and there is no God but one, for there is one God. Again, he's quoting their argument. There is one God, the Father from, from whom are all things. Guys, the Corinthians are nailing it. They've got a lot of good knowledge right here. This is all right. They're dead on. It goes on to the next one. And for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Up to this point, Nailed it. Way to go, Corinthians. You got all the right knowledge. You got all the right answers. You've made a great defense for yourself of why you can go into the temple and eat whatever you want, with whomever you want, wherever you want. Well done. And then things take a little turn, right? We have a break in the action right here. This big word. However, not all possess this knowledge. Not everyone knows what you know, right? And they said at the very beginning, if you remember what they said at the very beginning, they said, hey, Paul, everyone knows this. All possess this knowledge. It was the very first thing he's, they said to Paul. They said, hey, now concerning food offered to idols, we all know that all of us possess this knowledge. Paul goes, eh, no, you don't. Not everyone knows what you know. And by the way, your knowledge is wrong, Not all possess this knowledge. He goes on, verse seven. You see, some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. Sure, you may know that they're not real, 
But some Corinthian Christians are so used to thinking about idols as real gods, so when they eat the food that's been offered to idols, they think of Lord Jesus Christ. We're free. We're free to eat whatever we want, whenever we want, with whomever we want, in whatever temple we want. It's all good. And they're like, man, the others, the, the weaker Christians are, are like, I remember growing up going to this temple. I remember going there and worshiping that God or that goddess and believing for my whole life that they were real and every time I'm at this table or near this altar or in this temple, something in me is pulled back into the worship of this idol as though it's real. Something inside of me is pulled away from God and then when I leave, I feel guilty. I feel bad, I feel like I've betrayed my one true king and we know that guilt drives people away from God. Grace draws people in. And so Paul is saying, great, you got all the right knowledge, but some people who you're enticing to join you are getting pulled back into an old way of life, an old way of worship. He goes on, it, it's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. That was, that was one of Paul's biggest arguments to the Gentiles. You don't have to eat kosher to be saved. You don't have to become Jewish to be saved. You can be a Gentile and follow Jesus. And so the Corinthians are just laying it on. Paul, you told us it doesn't matter what we eat. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause the weak to stumble. Your right knowledge, your, your freedom in Christ it's all true, it's all good until it causes someone else to stumble. Are your ideas more important than people? For he goes on, if anyone sees you who have knowledge, who have this special knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat foods offered to idols? He goes on. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother or sister for whom Christ died. What Paul is really getting to here, the, the heart of the issue, the heart of everything that Paul is boiling down to. He goes, if your freedom and knowledge isn't leading us to lay down our lives in sacrificial love for others, then something is off with your freedom and your knowledge. Something is off with what you know. If your ideas have become more important than what's happening to your brothers and sisters, something is off with what you know. We all face idols in modern culture. And I thought about this. I said, man, what are the temples as a culture that we are tempted to go into and eat at the table and stand on our knowledge and our ideas that are literally tearing the church apart? Where are we going? What are we standing on? What are we dying for right now? What are the idols that we're worshiping as a nation, as a church, then maybe we're right, maybe we got all the right answers, but it's tearing the church apart, it's tearing people apart. We're not thinking about how to become all things to all men and women so that we may win some. 
Paul, in the very next chapter, he builds this argument. He says, guys, look, I became Jews to win, I became like a Jewish person to win Jews. I became like a Gentile to win you. I became weak to win the weak. It's not about clinging to my rights. It's not about holding on to my preferences and what I want and what I love and what I have. It's about what are you willing to sacrifice to share the good news with Jesus with somebody else? Anybody with me on this? This is a huge point. Paul is speaking eternally. He's not speaking to the temporary situations that we're dealing with. He's speaking long arc eternally to the body of Christ. And he's saying, guys, make sure if you're going to make decisions, you look at it through two lenses. Vertical love for God. Is this loving and honoring to Jesus? Am I breaking any commands here? And horizontal love for others. Is this helpful? Is it serving? Is it winning people or pushing people away from the one thing that can save them for all time? So important for us. Thus, sinning against your brothers and sisters and wounding their conscience when it is weak, he says you sin against Christ in verse 12. He goes on, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Their decisions of the Corinthian church were based on their true knowledge and their true freedom, but they were not motivated by love, so they were wrong. They were wrong, and that's what Paul was saying. Knowledge and freedom without the context of love will destroy yourself and others. A quick story, and then I'll close after this. This past week, maybe it was two weeks ago, I can't remember, <laughs> time just flies. Uh, me and some guys from the church, we had, we had booked permits to climb Mount Whitney all the way back in May. And uh, we were really excited about it. And we got all our gear, everything ready to go. We were, gonna, we were gonna hike that sucker in one day. We were fired up. We knew it was gonna be a challenge. We've been training for it. But we said, we're gonna do it. We're gonna make it to the top and get back down. And then two days before we left, like the most historic October snowstorm in 100 years hits the Sierra Nevadas. Dumps like three to four feet of snow on Mount Whitney. And so suddenly our little hiking trip, you know, just walk up the dirt trail to the top and walk down became like a winter mountaineering expedition, which we were completely unprepared for. We didn't have the gear for it. And we were like, wow, should we even go and give it a shot? Well, we've got a permit for one day. We can't get permits till the next year. Obviously, hiking season is over now because there's so much snow on the mountain. Let's just go down. We'll make the best of it, see how far we can get. So we go to REI. We rent uh, crampons and ice axes and uh, snowshoes, all things that I have zero experience with. And, um, and we set off at 2 a.m. in the morning. And we start post-holing through snow that's like knee-deep, one mile in. We're already at 9,000 feet, can't breathe at all. And it's just slow going. And what's supposed to be an eight to 10 hour you know, round trip turned into a 17 hour day. And so we are going, going, going up, 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 up. We're feeling good. We're getting glimpses of the summit. We end up actually making it to this one place. It was like the farthest place that anyone had made it to called Consultation Lake where you sit down with your buddies and you chat and say, do we really wanna do this or not? <laughs> Consultation Lake, let's just... Think about what we're doing here, okay? And uh, we could see from Consultation Lake, we could see the famous 99 switchbacks 
literally switchbacks that go up the side of a mountain, 99 is just a big number. They, they don't know how many it is. It's a lot. It goes up 1,200 vertical feet. And, and we're like, okay, we're supposed to turn around right now at noon. It's noon. We made it to Consultation Lake. We made it further than anyone else has gotten to this point. But our turnaround time was noon. It was our cutoff time because we don't want to be hiking back in the dark. It's going to get icy. It could be treacherous. A lot of sketchy snow and stuff. But we saw the 99 switchbacks. We're like, well, we can get there. And the one thing you have to remember about mountain climbing is everything is further than it looks. Everything's harder than it looks and everything's bigger than it looks. And so an hour later, we make it to the base of the switchbacks. It looked like it was just a few hundred yards away. It was like a mile away. So we get to the base, we're snowshoeing at this point and it's one o'clock. We're like, man, it's a, it's a beautiful day. We could probably keep going a little further. Let's just get like, let's just see how far up we can get. Well, two o'clock, that's our cutoff time. For sure, we'll turn back by two o'clock. And there's this little thing called summit fever that just takes you over. I mean, especially when you've been up since 2 a.m., you've been working so hard and you can just see it, it's right there. We were still three miles away and 2,000 vertical feet away, but it was right there, right? So we get about halfway up the 99 switchbacks and we get to this infamous section called the cables. And there's a snow drift on the cables, on the, the trail across the cables, it's like four feet deep. And it looks like the first person that steps on it, the whole shelf is just gonna slide right off the edge of a cliff. And whoever steps on it first is just gonna go over the cliff with the snow. Looks like an, it just looks like it's about to fall off like an avalanche. And we actually sat there for about five minutes and said, hmm, should we do it? <laughs> we wanted to get to the top. And I'm thinking, guys, if we die here, our wives will literally hike up here in the summer and kill us again. They will literally kill us again. And the truth was this, in that moment, the idea of reaching the summit had almost become more important than the people I cared about the most. My family, my kids, I have a wife and kids. I have people that I love in life. This idea of the summit, of just making it, of reaching it was like, I gotta get there. And then it was like, no, I, we're not doing this. We made it home safely at like 8 p.m., exhausted, but we lived. Praise God. <laughs> I know, y'all are like, Jonathan is bad. So here's the point of all this, and this is what I wanna close, close with. In all of this talk about food and idols and all of it, here's the lens. The way of Jesus always means sacrificial love that reaches across the dividing lines of our culture, even when you've got the right answers, and says, how can I lay down my life for you? If you remember nothing else, remember that. That's the big idea of this whole section. Sacrificial love that reaches across the dividing lines of our culture, even when you've got the right answers, and says, how can I lay down my life for you? And yes, we need to create safe spaces to have hard dialogue on hard topics. We need to, to figure out how to fight for truth and stand for truth. I'm not saying knowledge and truth are bad. Don't hear me saying that. I'm just saying the first priority should be, how do I win this person? How do I love this person? How do I lay my life down? Then we'll work out all the other stuff later. Once they know Jesus... Once they see his goodness and his grace, friends, we're about to take communion together and communion is the reminder. It's the biggest reminder to us that Jesus Christ crossed the longest divide, came all the way to where we were, even though 
He was the right one and we were totally wrong in every way. He came right down to where we were, met us where we were, lived the life we were called to live, gave his life as an offering for us, and then rose from the dead so we could have new life. It's the gospel. And Paul says we're called to imitate Christ. So friends, as we pause for a moment and take communion together and get ready to celebrate baptisms, take a moment of searching your own heart and say, what idols in my life, what areas in my life am I winning the argument but losing the person? Is it in my marriage? Is it in my friendships? Is, is it in my family? Is it in my church? Is it with my neighbors, my coworkers? Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. Lord, we thank you that you loved us and gave your life for us. Lord, we thank you that you crossed every divide, even when you were right and we were wrong, and you gave yourself for us. Lord, I pray as we take communion together and prepare to celebrate baptisms, that you would help us to be a people defined not by all the right answers, but by sacrificially laying our lives down for other people. Lord, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.